You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. episode of Core Curriculum. I'm your host this week. I'm David Grubbs. I'm recording from Houston, Texas. With me this week is Jordan Poss. Where are you coming to us live from, Jordan? Uh, hey, David. I am recording from home in Fountain Inn, South Carolina. Sweet deal. And also with us is Carla Godwin. How are you, ma'am? Hey, I'm good. Thanks. Where are you recording from? I am in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm actually um, in my condo, which is a light, like it's large and concrete everywhere. So I tried to find a place that wasn't echoey. So I'm under my six-year-old, my six-year-old daughter's loft. You know, good recording acoustics. So here's open. That is awesome. <laughs> um, our two boys have a loft bed. This is TMI listeners, but Caller brought it up. So it's fair game. My um, my uh, five-year-old has a loft, and we actually put a blanket around all the edges, so it's like a secret cave in there. They right. love that thing. That's great. That's what we did, too. So all kinds of fun. <laughs> yep. It's the best. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I also wanted to ask, this is uh, – listeners have probably uh, gathered this by now, but we've recorded these episodes uh, – not in their chronological order. And um, I've got a number of these under my belt and I'm feeling, you know, loose and, and like having a little bit of fun. <laughs> so I just want to start with in your read through the Iliad so far, who's been your least favorite character? I know who I want to put at the center of that dartboard, but I want to hear what you think. Carla? Oh, come on. You said I didn't have to go first. <laughs> okay, just kidding. Um, Jordan. <laughs> okay, Jordan, go. Uh, it, it, I, I, I think I first read the Iliad as like a sophomore in college, and my least favorite character then and now is Paris. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I, I recorded an episode of uh, Coil and Victoria a while back. I think it's like book five or so. So listeners who have stayed with us the whole time will know this already. But I, I really love to hate Paris. Um, he's just <laughs> a waste of oxygen, uh, and and gets a lot of other people killed. And I, I just don't like that. Yeah. Got Sorry. some really good smack talk from Hector. That's fair. I, I'm gonna go straight to Mount Olympus because. I mean, the humans are human, right? But the gods, ugh. So uh, <laughs> I can go straight to Zeus. I just think um, he, he's an incredibly fickle god and switches back and forth from this to that, to that person, to caring for this, to not caring for that, over and over and over again, and it exhausts me. So I'm going to go straight at it. Nice. Just rotten <laughs> from the top down. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a uh, good choice. <laughs> I'm going to go with... Achilles for for reasons that make sense from the beginning of the book. Uh, he's he's kind of 
uh, a sulky middle schooler through most of the book. And then he becomes just an unreasoning rage monster. And um, I don't really like either of those moods. <laughs> but <laughs> in book 16, uh, book 16 is, at least you know, for my mileage, a new look for Achilles and his introdu- and his interactions with his bestie. And he's suddenly figured out in book 16, um, another new way to be deeply unpleasant. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, at least that's my read when, when Patroclus comes at the very beginning of book 16, um, and he comes to Achilles stricken with the awful carnage that Hector and the Trojans are wreaking on the Achaeans. And Achilles' response is, hey, whiny baby, whiny baby running to mama. Like, <laughs> stay classy, bro. I mean, am, am I reading too much... Uh, too too much into this. I mean, how, how did how did y'all take this? Well, that's exactly how I read it. Like, just genuinely um, demeaning, actual heartbreak, and like you know, justified heartbreak over watching uh, his comrades and friends be be brutally killed and killing and all of those things. And um, yeah, the response is just genuinely: Are you chasing after your mother and begging to be picked up and carried? Um, and it's it's just pretty. <laughs> pretty gross and nevertheless patroclus is that how you say it um, yep okay he he continues with his plea and and still wants to see something change and doesn't doesn't let up doesn't say oh yeah you're right never mind let's go back to fighting like not that he doesn't go back to fighting but he doesn't give up with his plea and so i found that to be honorable hmm. jordan yeah, um, I, I, I'm reading Fagels too, and and kind of cross referencing with like Richmond Lattimore and a few others. And in Fagels, doesn't he doesn't he straight up call Patroclus a girl, something like that? I mean, it's 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 it is very adolescent. Um, I mean, he 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 knows Patroclus or Patroclus. I, I waffle and how I say it. Uh, <laughs> he knows he knows Patroclus, but he's tr- he knows the me- he should have the measure of him. He's his dearest comrade, but he's treating him the way the other guys treat Thersites at the beginning of the poem, which is, I mean, it's, you're right. It is, it is kind of a new low for him. He's let his rage so overmaster him that he's even abusing his dearest comrades. Could you remind us real quick about Thersites? I I know for some of our episodes, it's uh, some of our listeners, it's been, unless you're just binge listening this in an afternoon, afternoon or something. (laughs) Um, It's, it's, it's might've been a little while since you've uh, heard about him. Yeah, it. Uh, I, well, I've for, first of all, I've, we've got a three-month-old at home, so I have slept and not slept since I read that part. Um, <laughs> but but uh, Thersites pops up near the beginning when the Achaeans are. Well, well, there's 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 two issues. One, I they're they're trying to get Achilles back in the fight, but they're also trying to buck up the Achaeans to actually go into the fight and resist the Trojans. And Thersites, um, if you're familiar with World War II slang at all. He's kind of a sad sack. He's just constantly grousing. He's he's complaining about stuff. He's kind of down in the mouth. And uh, crucially for for the world that this takes place in, he's kind of talking down about his betters. And so I think it's Odysseus gives him a thump on the back and makes him cry. Yeah. Um, and then you know gives him some you know some trash talk for for 
first of all, you know, giving his betters such lip, uh, but then for, you know, handling himself when challenged in such a uh, demeaning and childish way. So, I mean, that's 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 kind of a I don't know if it's intentional, but I, I kind of see echoes in that kind of interaction here. But Patrick, again, Achilles should know better. He, he should he should know Patrickless better than that. Yeah, this this stance of drill sergeant dressing down the the mouth <laughs> private. I, this is not a good look on Achilles, especially given that the very first thing he does in book one is go crying to his mama. Yes. <laughs> Come on, man. If anybody's crying to his mama, like is plot centric, it's yours. <laughs> and, this is this is what we call projection, right? Yeah. <laughs> like you do a thing and you hate, you can't stand it in yourself, so you judge others for the same thing. It's just what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> even the way that he talks about. Um, uh, Jordan and I are both using the Fagels, and this is how it says it there. Um, towards the end of that first uh, initial response from Achilles, the way that he describes it, are you weeping over the Argives, are you? Seeing them die against the hollow ships, repaid for their offenses? <laughs> that's, that's his perspective on the screams he hears outside of his tent. Mm-hmm. Like... Dude's a sociopath. That's that's awful. Like he knows these people. He's fought on their side for ten years, and yeah. he he hears them, you know, fighting and dying outside, and he's thinking they're now they're getting paid back. They're gonna miss me now. They're gonna I bet they're sorry now about how they treated me. Uh, it's just awful. Um, you said Carla that Patroclus is the honorable one in this relationship and i find it so interesting that his response to achilles is not to give you know tit for tat you know he doesn't punch him he doesn't go off he doesn't turn on him but instead he's actually a much better friend um what what in here especially do you find admirable in the way that he responds to What's really uh, an 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 awful uh, attitude from someone who's supposed to be his closest friend? Right. Well, he doesn't he doesn't get defensive. First of all, he doesn't actually even take on Achilles's attacks on him that he's crying um, pointlessly or or like a little girl, as Latimer in my um, translation also puts it. Um, he, he doesn't do any of that. He just keeps going at his point, which is this is tragic and something must be done. What can we do? And you who have power, how can you help me do something about it? So he doesn't become defensive or start to fight the points or defend or like, um, like you said, go tit for tat about it. And he also doesn't join Achilles in mocking um the Achaeans or the Argives, however, whichever name is used in that point, like he doesn't, he doesn't go with him and mocking them and saying it's, they're getting their, their fair dessert. Lattimore talks, says it, that they are dying because of their arrogance. Um, he doesn't join that judgment. He just keeps pushing toward trying to find a resolve. Um, so I feel like he, somehow he doesn't allow his like ego to engage and he doesn't allow himself to kind of um, cower in the, in the presence and the, the sort of demeaning nature of his friend who's, who's, um, using using power to to 
demean other people. He just doesn't join that. He just keeps pushing toward what he wants and what's what's best. Yeah. Jordan, what in here would you find admirable here? Uh, I would agree with what Carla said. I, I think that's I, I think that's kind of the sum total of it. He he just refuses to take the low road the way Achilles has. Uh, and he also um, I think it's it's kind of interesting the way he simultaneously brings this request forward. You know, let the whole Myrmidon Myrmidon army follow my command. I might bring some light of victory to our archives. Um, kind of subtly accusing Achilles there. Um, but also at the same time, kind of trying to appeal to his pride and to his sense of duty, whatever. I mean, it doesn't work because Achilles doesn't have a sense of duty to anybody beyond himself, at least not at this point. But there at the end in Fagel's about line 51, uh, we're fresh, unbroken. The enemy is battle weary. We could roll those Trojans back to Troy, clear of the ships and shelters. So it's it's interesting to me. He's he's playing kind of a really subtle game here, trying to. Uh, trying to offer to take command, but also sort of trying to woo Achilles back into the fight if he can. Uh, but of course he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, Fagel's, uh, renders the next line. So he pleaded lost in his own great innocence. Of course he has no idea what's coming. Yeah. Yeah. I found, uh, one of the questions that Patroclus asks Achilles and then Achilles answers very specifically fascinating it's roundabout line 40 41 of fagels uh, still if deep down some prophecy makes you balk some doom your noble mother revealed to, to you from zeus well and good send me to the battle so patroclus asks him if you've heard some prophecy from your mom about something that's fated to happen to you and you're worried about that, don't worry. I'll take I'll I'll be the one who steps out. And then Achilles' response is prophecies, none that touch me, none I know of, no doom my noble no my noble mother revealed to me from Zeus. Just this terrible pain of, you know, the dishonor. But one of the things that gives Achilles angst at the beginning of the book such depth is the fact that he explicitly knows that if he stays in fights at Troy, he's doomed to die. And he feels like he's getting no respect in spite of the fact that he's chosen what will kill him. We know about the prophecy. Achilles knows about the prophecy. But apparently Patroclus doesn't does not know about the prophecy, and Achilles isn't gonna tell him. I'm not really sure what difference that makes, but hmm. that that seemed really really interesting to me. It is interesting too, just in in looking at um, Patroclus. It says, you know, is supplicating in his great innocence. He doesn't know he's going toward his death. So in thinking about their their the question of their honor, <laughs> if you know you're going toward your death versus not knowing you're going toward your death, which which is more honorable, like choosing that or going toward it out of passion or, or grief. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. it, it creates another kind of comparison there. That's interesting, I think. Yeah, it's very it's very artful. Uh, I don't I don't know about y'all, but every time I come back to uh, the Iliad, 
I'm I'm reminded of how subtle this poet is. Yeah. And the uh, the plan works relatively well, uh, but Achilles, uh, in his instructions to Patroclus, this is also not a good look on him. Um, he puts limits on how far Patroclus can go. Go save the boats, but don't chase them all the way back to Troy, and don't... Um, don't fight Hector. <laughs> don't don't uh, go win, but don't win too hard, because if you do, uh, line one hundred six, one hundred seven, something like that. Um, don't do it without me. You will only make my glory that much less. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. You know, go take it to him in the second half, but not too hard. Wait till I'm in the game. You know, just barely win. And then... <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, points for being honest about it, I guess. <laughs> Are we giving those points, though? Are we really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's just said, like, you know, don't do too good because I want to make sure I get MVP. Right. I don't know. I think, Look, uh, oh, go ahead. Well, I just, I think it's another question of like how they view honor, you know, and if, if someone is due honor because they're, you know, the son of a God or, or whatever else, um, you, you do wrong to take that honor from them. Right. So mm-hmm. there's a certain amount of like, it's, it's the, it's the sort of ethic of the day that honor is bequeathed to some and not to others. And so if you take it unjustly, <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Um, it, of course, it, it sounds incredibly um, prideful and blah to us reading it, but I'm, I'm curious if it would have been quite that in context. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's a good point. It's yeah. kind of hard to turn off my 21st century ears. Right. Right. I was gonna. I was gonna say as well. There, there's maybe a speaking of Homer's subtlety. Uh, there's kind of a twofold appeal that that Achilles is making here. If you look down in Fagels again about line one tenish, he's you know he's he's making this appeal. You know, don't take too much glory away from me. Also, what if one of the gods who never dies comes down from Olympus to intervene? The deadly archer loves his Trojans dearly. No, you must turn back. So there there is a, at least a little bit of concern for Patroclus here, even if this even if he's presenting his primary concern as being his own glory. Right. I read that. I read that, too, and thought the same Um, that, yeah, not one of all the Trojans could escape destruction if they came, if the gods came down, you know. Mm -hmm. And then he says, but you and I could emerge from the slaughter so that we two alone could break Troy's hallowed coronal. So um, I don't know. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. What is drawing y'all's attention at the beginning of this book? I, I've mostly steered things by what I've noticed so far, but what are you what are you all picking up that we haven't been paying attention to so far? I think you've done an excellent job drag, uh, helping us see what's what's uh, prevalent. I think that the relationship between these two, the first time that I read through it, it, it takes a minute for that relationship to sink in and to realize like what's at stake for them personally um, yeah. in this conversation. And so 
taking that back into account and recognizing that Patroclus is saying, let me wear your armor so that they even think I'm you, so that I have some endowment of your power and the relationship that's developed between these two and, and whether or not Achilles' concern for Patroclus is is only about his glory or whether he is actually saying, also pull back, pull back, pull back. You know what I mean? Because I don't want you mm-hmm. to get hurt. Just the, the subtleties like y'all were saying in the in the way that they relate to each other and the way that they use honor as a framing for friendship to try to say, well, I wouldn't actually just say I love you as my friend and don't want you to die. <laughs> but I would say <laughs> pull back when you get to this point because you have to protect my honor because that's your job as my friend. You know, right. so so yeah. that kind of subtlety in the relationship between them, I think, is really interesting. Um, and I think you're, we're, we're getting at that. Um, but that. I think the first time I read through it, I missed some of those subtleties and then reading through it again, I'm like, oh, there's a whole bunch going on there in terms of friendship that I think we lose um, it just in the time frame and translation, you know, so. Mm -hmm. I really like your your read on the honor point as Achilles trying to come up with some other way to say it than just, hey, buddy, I don't think you can take him. (laughs) (laughs) Or, or I really am personally concerned for your safety. I, I like that. That I, I guess that makes, um, makes Achilles seem more, more human at this point than just than just an you know an honor bot. Which <laughs> that well at the beginning, though, as you pointed out, like his mocking Patroclus for for his very real emotion and concern for the dying people, <laughs> you know, doesn't really set you up to be like watching for that. But um, I don't know. It, he, he's, he's uh, complicated to me in these, in this early bit in the early passages here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when Patroclus leaves, he, he prays for him, mm-hmm. which no one's watching that except, you know, except Zeus. And the narrator and us through the narrator. But, you know, Achilles has no human audience in that moment. Um, that's something that's interesting, too, through the whole book is watching the way uh, the ways Achilles demeanor adjusts depending on who's easy, who he's interacting with. Yeah. Um, the faces that he prepares to meet the faces that he meets. Um the one when he's in prayer, I, I find that um, probably one of the one of the more admirable ones. Um, uh, fill his heart with courage. So even Hector learns if Patroclus has the skill to fight his wars alone, my friends in arms, or his hands can rage unvanquished only when I go wading in and face the grind of battle. But once he he repels the onslaught. Let him come back to me, unharmed, with all my armor around him and all our comrades fighting around my friend. Um, so he's also praying for the lives of all of his Myrmidon troops as well. Um, and then the response, uh, Achilles prayed, and Zeus in all his wisdom heard those prayers. One prayer the father granted, and the other he denied. Which Achilles, of course, doesn't know. But but we know but we know we know that Petro, uh, the Patroclus is going to his doom, um, in spite of in spite of Achilles' prayers. Mm-hmm. Hmm. 
Did y'all catch the bit around about line 262 when he opens up his chest to get the cup that he uses to pour out that libation? I just thought this was so funny. 262. Achilles strode back to his shelter now and opened the lid of the princely inlaid sea chest. The glistening-footed Thetis stowed in his ship to carry filled to the brim with war shirts, windproofed cloaks, and heavy fleecy rugs. So apparently his mom packed his bags for the Trojan War. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Have fun storming the castle. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I did notice that, too. I'm trying to find it in my... There it is. Okay. It's more like 220 in the Lattimore. Um, yeah. But it is fascinating. There's nothing else about it, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't say much else other than he goes in to get this goblet, right? Um, yeah. And help me understand and and remember what the goblet means or what it's for. Well, it says that no one, no one drinks out of it, um, except Achilles, and he never uses it to pour libations to any god but Zeus, the king of gods. So this is a cup that he has kept very special. He doesn't use it for any hospitality purposes or even any worship purposes except for the king of Olympus himself. Mm-hmm. So it's as if this is his super special, super secret, extra sacred right. private prayer cup. Right. Like when he really, really, really wants it to count, mm-hmm. he uses this cup. Right, right. And, right. Yeah. And that's and yeah. And this is the prayer that doesn't that doesn't get all the way answered. Um one of the things that I find so interesting in the rest of in in all of these books are th- are the uh, the metaphors, the similes that are used to describe individual uh, heroes and warriors as groups. Uh, the Myrmidons are described uh, when they are assembled as hungry as wolves to rend and bolt raw flesh, hearts filled with battle frenzy that never dies, ripping apart some big antlered stag. They gorge down... Uh, they gorge on the kill till their jo- all their jaws drip red with blood. Then down in a pack they lope to a pooling dark spring, their lean sharp tongues lapping to the water's surface, belching bloody meat. Mm-hmm. Like, ew. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's what the Myrmidons are like. Like, they've been on the side for as long as Achilles has been, you know, kicking it in his tent. These Myrmidons have been on the side like hungry wolves, um, desperate to get into the fight. Uh, but then just a few pages later, they're, they're described as swarming out like wasps from a roadside nest. <laughs> when boys have made it their sport to set them see- the seething day after day, tormenting them round their wayside hive. <laughs> until some innocent traveler passing on the road stirs them accidentally. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, 
So they're wolves and they're also wasps. And they're a flood at some point. Um, I think it's actually the Trojans then that are a flood. And he, the metaphor is that, or the poet uses the metaphor of like the place where a, a river overflows its banks, like that one pouring out, you know, and you can see it. Uh, that whole idea of them just whoo, coming in a wave. And um, I don't know, it's pretty, pretty incredible. The descriptions. And doesn't, uh, and doesn't the word Myrmidon literally mean ants? Mm. It's, it's been a while since I've, I've mm. dug into that. I'm, I'm pretty sure that the name Myrmidon might literally mean or connote something having to do with like an ant, like an ant hive, ant pile. Yeah. Like, some I think it's some other source. I couldn't tell you which one it is. Um you know, Edith Hamilton probably could. Uh <laughs> I think in some other source the Myrmidons are said to have originated as ants. ants yeah, I want to say maybe that's in like Ovid or something. Ovid? That sound that sounds like metamorphoses. Yeah, because he's he's got all of his ants and dragon teeth and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. That sounds, yeah. I, I don't have it in front of me, but he, he's uh, he's our most likely candidate. But I think, uh, uh, I mean, it's, I think since antiquity, the, the, even the word Mirbadon has been used metaphorically to suggest just hordes of something. Um, just I, I've I've heard it even in you know political commentary to try to describe you know the mindless masses of whoever your political opponents are. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he sent in his myrmidons. <laughs> it would make politics a lot more interesting, honestly. Wait, I really <laughs> interesting giant quotes thrown around. <laughs> <Interesting>. <laughs> you know, say what you will about American uh, election cycles. Um, uh, it tends to not look like a war in the Iliad. <laughs> oh. So, can I butt in for just a minute? And it's like a super normal thing that I'm sure we've talked about all the way through these recordings, but the relationship between the gods and the humans. And it strikes yeah. me again, you know, when Zeus, when the way that the poet describes it is that Zeus grants one prayer and doesn't grant the other. Um, it, it was one another one of those moments where I thought we humans try to make sense of, of um, happenings in our in our linear time that that seem illogical or that one good thing happens one not good things ha thing happens and we try to create narrative and i think um it, it's just fascinating to me that here you know they create an observer of the things the gods and then and then allow the gods to be in charge of the narrative you know like humans need narrative to make sense of what happens <laughs> and then in order to make narrative you need to create an observer and so they do that with the gods and then give the gods the power to say this good thing, that bad thing. Um, and, and just that, just that like us trying, humans trying to make sense of the nonsensical things or the incongruent things that happen and the need for an observer power to make those things make sense in terms of narrative just, just struck me again um, in this one. And, and every time I've read some of this, that's, that's where it hits me is like, Oh, it's just a fascinating relationship where um we, we take the gods as power because that's what we've been told by the poet, but, but it's so often like there's a human event or a thing that's happening. Well, why did this person have all this power for a minute? And then it's switched over here. And then it's, you know, um, just to make sense of narrative, it's necessary to have that, 
that that those beings that are watching and impacting. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, because otherwise it would just it would just be apparently pointless and causeless and random and this right. side has momentum and then they don't for right. no apparent reason. Right, right. Um, and I, I just think it, for me, it, it's this indication of the human need to make sense of things that don't necessarily make sense and to cast that somewhere and pretend that there's something or some being watching um, that has some intent, <laughs> you know, or to create that being or to, or, or, or vice versa. I, I'm willing to, you know, let it be both ways, but it's a, it's a fascinating thing in this, poem and in this time for there to have been many gods who go from this side to that side to you know and to how we we still are trying to make sense so often of our narratives by saying it was this good thing or that bad thing or god intended this or god didn't intend that and it's all for some bit of cohesive narrative yeah I, it's it's interesting the ways that uh though the the, the kinds of divine observers as as you call them i like that um, the they're the they're the narr they're the audience of this narrative they're the storyteller story consumers right yes um, that's that that that's really interesting right um, it, it may have struck in my mm. I've been watching Rick Steves Rome so <laughs> there's you know <laughs> the Colosseum and all of those things and I think there's so much of this that feels like that that some sort of you know emperor higher being is watching lesser beings fight and impacting the outcome and this feels like a mimicking of like the roman Colosseum. and then also my daughter's re reading the hunger games which is another terrible version of the same thing yeah. and i just like <laughs> have this sense of you know when there's a, a power that's observing that can offer um help here or not help here and is is uh just but also just sort of hands off like ah, let's watch the outcome here in an entertainment kind of observing kind of fashion um it's it's just a it's just a really interesting dynamic to me um, between the gods and the humans in this whole in this whole poem in this whole time period that understanding of an observer watching narrative and then actually the participants in the narrative trying to make sense of that narrative by giving the observers um, power. Yeah, and the mortals are frustrated by it. I mean, I, I don't think it happens in either of these books, but I know elsewhere in the Iliad, you know, some some favorite of a particular god, usually Paris, who's, again, worthless, uh, gets in, gets in a scrape and uh, is almost certainly going to be killed. And then the god shows up and zips them away somewhere to safety. And uh, there are moments when, you know, you get these enraged warriors stomping around the battlefield, angry at the gods because they've gamed the system again. Um, yeah. not on, un not unlike the way, you know, fans of popular TV shows get angry when particular characters die or, you know, plot contrivances or whatever. It, it's, right. it, it's as if the, it's as if, you know, those old choose your own adventure books. Yeah. It's, it's as if the characters were aware that you were picking <laughs> and were angry at when you picked <laughs> right. when you picked particular when you picked particular narratives to follow you know they, they were like trying to fight back against it like literally in the case of diomedes at one point but not uh page 47 not page yeah. 47 <laughs> <laughs> right but it's uh their their frustration is palpable throughout i'm, I'm maybe a w little aware of this because i in western civ just this morning i was i was teaching greek religion and and the the you know the fickleness of the gods being a feature rather than a bug 
that uh, the Greeks had to just kind of kind of deal with. Right. And it makes sense of moments that seem outside of logic, right? Like if right. you have logic heading in this direction and then something veers off to left or right, you need something to make sense of that. But that happens all the time in, in human experience, mm-hmm. really. <laughs> yeah, and, espe- and especially in warfare. I mean, as right. you know, I, I'm a military historian and there is almost no such thing as a believable war story. Because there is so there is so much weird seriously there is so much weird chance and absurdity and just strange gallows humor and and odd coincidences that happen on the battlefield it 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 it, it, it makes sense that there are fickle gods fighting each other in an environment like that hmm. like that. Like that one guy who was, I think it was a World War II story, guy who, who was paratrooping in and his chute didn't open and he just fell like however many hundreds, I don't know, thousands of feet, landed in the snow and then walked it off. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> story, stories you could not make up, yeah. Right. Like, right. Obviously, Aphrodite is preserving him. Clearly, <laughs> that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> well... No, that's that's my question. Let, let's look <laughs> at one of the places where Zeus is an unhappy spectator. Uh, this was my most uh, probably uh, after the the Patroclus Achilles um, conversation. This bit where Patroclus fights and kills Sarpedon, mm-hmm. and Zeus it's uh, starts around five. 512 in Fagels. I'm not sure what it would be in 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 yours, uh, Carla, but it's right after a uh, Patroclus and uh, Sarpedon have been compared to vultures fighting. Okay. And then Zeus is filled now with pity to see the two great fighters, and he says to Hera, his sister and his wife, my cruel fate, my Sarpedon, the man I love the most, my own son, doomed to die at the hand of Menetius' son, Patroclus. My heart is torn in two as I try to weigh all this. Shall I pluck him up now while he's alive and set him down in the rich green land of Lycia, far from the war at Troy and all its tears, or beat him down at Patroclus' hands at last? Like, there's this moment where Zeus is watching the war movie, and he's like, oh, oh, my guy's going to get it. I know it. My guy's going to get it. We could stop this now, right? <laughs> we just, <laughs> just just, move him out of there. Like, I, I, no, I want him in the sequel. No. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you're doing that. Yes. I I just, Lattimore does um, that my heart is is divided. He says, my heart in my breast, the heart in my breast is balanced between two ways as I ponder. Um, and I, I like that, just the different ways that things are translated. So, but that my, the heart in my breast is balanced between two ways. Isn't interesting to say, you know, is, is torn between two options. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, I, I think um, that moment too, Totally. It, it's like, oh, and, and did Zeus not did Zeus not know that that, that was going to happen? You know, that that was going to be part of his like uh, coming behind Patroclus and saying, yes, he will have power up to a point. He will have success that this that, that his, you know, mortal son was actually going to be in that path. Um, 
you know, he didn't recognize that until the very moment and then thought, oh, I'll pluck him out. That that kind of thing where there's an all-powerful being that then also misses a very key point that, oh, also my mortal my mortal offspring <laughs> will suffer death at the, at the hands of this being that I'm backing, you know? Right. Hmm. Now, what's really fascinating uh, to, to me in this is uh, I was on the episode that recorded the two before this, and uh book in book 15 so the book before this book 15 zeus announces his intentions for what's going to go down next all right uh it's around about line 80 or so in book 15 of the fagels but uh let let hector whip the achaeans in headlong panic um rolling them back once more, tumbling back on the oar-swept ships of Peleus' son Achilles, and he, Achilles, will launch his comrade Patroclus into action, and glorious Hector will cut him down with a spear in front of Troy, once Patroclus has slaughtered whole battalions of strong young fighting men, and among them all, my shining son Sarpedon. And then, enraged at Patroclus, Enraged for Patroclus, brilliant Achilles will bring Prince Hector down. And then from that day on, I'll turn the tide of war and the Greeks will take Troy. Ah, so he did see it. It's in the script. (laughs) But it comes time to actually shoot that scene and he's like, but. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yes. No, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Zeus, the king of the gods, gets cold feet. Yeah. It's a, kind of a grim picture. I and mean, it's he, a moment of pathos for Zeus, apparently. He, he uh, has a bit of a flounder. <laughs> and Hera immediately reminds him, I mean, and, and I think, I can't remember which episodes we talked about this in, but I know in a couple of others we've talked about the way even the gods are answerable to fate. Uh, Hera immediately invokes that. You know, dread majesty, son of Cronus, what are you saying? A man, a mere mortal, his doom sealed long ago? You'd set him free from all the pains of death. Um, do as you please, Zeus, but none of the deathless, deathless gods will ever praise you. So there's that constantly looming in the background. So even even where even where the gods are intervening and di- even directly fixing elements of the battle, there's still a force beyond them that is really dictating the outcome. Right, right, and they're they're sort of um, accountable to certain like. Uh god laws of physics that if you do this this thing will happen right there's there are those kind of like uh things at play because she's and she's also saying you know we're not going to approve you and also someone else might want to pluck their their son their mortal being out of it um and and then what another god gets involved and pulls their son out and then what do we do with all these like um (laughs) you know mortal (laughs) beings that are still going to have to die but there are children and you know that whole thing so she almost is kind of has this argument um that honors mortality just basically is kind of like these are mortal they will suffer pain and death you have to let it take its course um Mm -hmm. it's not a thing they can avoid and there's sort of this moment of um she she talks about the undying gods right and then compares them or contrasts them to that you know you may love this as your mortal child but this man but but he is mortal you're going to have to let him suffer pain and death so it's it's an interesting moment of just the the stark reality of mortality and and even the the fact that the gods don't have power over mortality 
they can they can shift it. They can say this person's going to go over here and snatch them out. They have that power, but they don't actually have have power to make uh, mortality not, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I love uh, I love the uh, that one line you were you were, you were pointing out, Carla. Many who battle round King Priam's mighty walls are sons of the deathless gods. Like how many of these dead? And if you go back and look, they're almost always named. So and so, you know, so and so, he was the son of a river god and princess so and so, and here's like five lines of story, and he takes a spear in the ear. Right. <laughs> it's so yeah. fascinating to me how they, how the poet names almost over and over again in the battles. The poet goes to great pains to name who was killed, what their background is, and how they were killed, how they died. And in in the Lattimore version, he will often talk about like um, his his limbs were unstrung, so he'll yeah. be hit the spear in a particular spot, and it, it can be anywhere. But often, like that, what the way he describe the way the poet describes that is to say that the limbs were unstrung, <laughs> go limp. You know what I mean? And that yeah. I just think that like the idea of being strung or animated. Um, and then that just going is, is just a, a fascinating way to, to picture it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just for the, I don't know, some, some kind of faceless epic spear fodder that's generated by, you know, massive CGI. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> Troy. It's a story <laughs> and that, right, that, but this is always in, in here, the poet, the, the dead always has a name and, and a, mm-hmm. a way story and a death that is worth describing right yeah and someone who will miss them right um just uh sarpedon sarpedon dies and obviously um you know zeus has just said that he would and and showers tears of blood to drench the earth Mm -hmm. to praise him his dear son so like blood falling from the sky as they're fighting and it's and it's zeus's immortal regret as he has Mm -hmm. to watch his beloved son go to his death um but then this guy on the side glaucus who sees sarpedon die and he's like you killed my best friend ah and he can't let it go and then but if you if you keep reading it starts to get closer and closer together. Hey, you killed my brother. You killed my brother first, and but you killed my dad, but you killed my best friend. And there's no there's no one protagonist whose vengeance motive gets to be the main one that's on screen so that you can kind of ride that motive. Mm-hmm. And, and just sort of accept it as, oh, oh, yeah, well, they killed his brother. So, of course, all the rest of the what goes down, right? We don't get any any kind of single justified John Wick style vendetta. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, how far back do you have to go to get to the first one? At, right. at this point, at this point, it's immaterial. Right. The poet seems uh, willing to give honor to both sides and culpability to both sides. Like it, it, I, I thought that too. It's, it's not like, you know, as a reader, which side you're supposed to be on almost ever. Um, mm-hmm. That's not indicated. <laughs> so right. uh, in some ways it's like the gods, like at any given moment, you're like, well, but that sucked, but that, well, I don't know. That's honorable. <laughs> you just <laughs> kind of have to right. around. It doesn't, it's not clear. 
So and something that's and something that's really struck me reading it this time around, which we've already alluded to, um, is Homer's constant push pull of the glory and the tragedy of war. Because that that's his most frequent one of the most frequent epithets is you know war where men win glory, and I mean it it, it absolutely glorifies combat. But every, every time you get that great moment of satisfaction when the hero goes in for the kill, you simultaneously like in that instant Homer gives you also the pathos of the man dying, which is really really interesting. Um, he, he's not again he's not going to go wholly one direction or the other with either the horror or the glory of it. He's going to give you both. Yeah. Yeah. He, 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 he never lets you just bask in, in the simpleness, uh, the simplicity of either. Right. Um, I mean, there, there are people who see this as, you know, a, super go gung-ho hawk poem you know and also people who see it as an anti-war poem and they they they're kind of both right yeah which which makes it fun and and complex and endlessly Mm -hmm. rereadable yeah well homer is so clear-eyed about it that's i think that's what gives him his power yeah one of the one of the things that gives him his power yep well, we need to get um, Patroclus killed. Well, uh, let's be <laughs> fair. He gets himself killed uh, with an assist from Apollo, apparently, who apparently just slaps him on the back of the head like a chump. <laughs> it is a uh, cheap shot for sure. Yeah. It says that Patroclus never saw him coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nine line nine twelve in Fagels. Three times he charged with the headlong speed of Ares, screaming his savage cry. Three times he killed nine men, and then in that fourth assault, Patroclus was like something superhuman. And then Apollo comes, invisible, and just shoves him in the back and knocks his helmet off, and apparently his armor too. Mm-hmm. And then he gets a spear in the back, and then Hector comes in third, um, gets him in the gut. Uh, I actually love the fact that Patroclus gets the chance to remind Hector that he's third. Yeah. <laughs> there is some <laughs> great trash so talk great in that. this book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's worth saying, first of all, that I read I read in one of the, the uh, analysis that I was looking at in prep that he Patroclus kills in this episode more more people than anyone else. So so I think we should at least say he has literally been on a rampage that has been quite successful. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And Apollos comes and, and like you said, whacks him in the back. But that that whole bit where he gets to say to Hector you're the third to slay me. Like I'm, I'm gone, man. You don't get to claim any glory or honor over this. You're the third. <laughs> I just love that. <laughs> like it's, it's just such a great like heckle while you're going mm-hmm. down. <laughs> I don't know. Like when James Bond goes, it's going to be with something like this. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's well, these guys have always got the kill taunts, the kill quips. Um, you know, uh, Oh, who is it? Patroclus 
gets that one guy um, with a rock and he falls out of his chariot and Patroclus's response to him is a taunt that's, you know, basically boils down to like, hey, good dive, man. You should be in the Olympics. <laughs> like, a, like an 80s action movie. Right? <laughs> Stick around. <laughs> My goodness. Or a, or a, 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 a Simpsons remix of an 80s action movie. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, any other, any other? You, you said that there were lots of taunts in here that that you, you found uh, successful, uh, Jordan. Any any others that you'd want to? Well, Hector, Hector and Patroclus both zing each other pretty good. Hector basically calls Patroclus an idiot. Like you know, you really let Achilles convince you to do this? Not you know, of course, not knowing that it's Patroclus's idea. And of course, Patroclus gets back at him with the you know. You're just mopping up. Apollo did all the dirty work for you. Um, and there's, I, I think there's a few others through here. Um, again, kind of those 80s one-liners. <laughs> um, let me see if I can find any other examples. Uh, even Apollo kind of gets in on the action, like trying to scare off Patroclus at first. Uh, not even Achilles, great, far greater <laughs> man than you. Like kind of, hey, back off, kid. Um, yep. There's just there's just you know you can you can really feel the just adrenaline fueled kind of heightened emotion of these guys as they're you know encountering the danger and having to step up to it and then you know the moment passes and there's been some kind of decision made and this I mean they they are they are very much letting off steam in these moments um, yeah and of course it, it, of course some of Hector's taunt I mean he's, he you know I, is this where we actually get the verb hectoring because he keeps abusing Patroclus <laughs> even after Patroclus is dead. Right. I, like gl- glorious Hector oh. taunted Patroclus's body dead as he was. Like, why? <laughs> why prophesy my doom? Who knows? Achilles, the son of sleek haired Thetis, may outrace me. Struck by my spear first, gasp away his life. Like he's he's still he's yelling at a dead man. It's, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's if it weren't so tragic, it'd be like something out of Monty Python. Um. I mean, it's that's that's the extent. It's, and again, something that's something else that stuck out to me in this read through is the way Achilles's rage is almost like a disease that infects everyone in the book at some point. Um. Yeah. So so here you almost even see that with with Hector, who is, you know, otherwise one of the more kind of stalwart, upright figures in the book. Well, and ditto Patroclus. I mean, right. Patroclus is obviously a capable warrior. But the main thing that we've seen him do up until this rampage is tend to the wounded and feel really bad for all of their friends who are taking it in the neck because Achilles has decided to sit this one out. Right. Uh, you know, these are two of the most admirable, you know, for my money, the, the two most admirable characters in the whole poem, you know. I also like King Nestor. I love old guys who tell random stories. So, uh, yeah, these are otherwise our most honorable guys. And, but when they get into rampage mode, it's, they just get ugly. Um, the, the, the nastiness of it. Um, you know, the man that Patroclus taunts, for his his diving ability as he dies and falls off a chariot is Hector's brother. 
right? You know, he it, like it's we know who this guy is who's dying, and then Patroclus is like, ha 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 ha, you fell over. What with being dead and all, um, it's like it's like, come on, come on, man. You know, the guys that you would hope to have would have some dignity. Um, mm-hmm. Just none whatsoever. I, li- I like I like that that idea of Achilles rage um, as this infection that runs through this whole thing. But maybe it's actually built into the system. Maybe it's giving. Oh, absolutely. It's a, it might be giving Achilles too much. Uh, too much credit. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a chicken and egg thing like. Yeah. Achilles is a man of this time and this place and this mode of fighting and and it is also absolutely shaped by his decision at the beginning of the book to sit out in a sulk. Yeah. Well, we need to say some things about book 17 faster than we did book 16, but <laughs> I, I you know, I, I I don't feel bad about spending so much time on 16. 16 is enormously important. It's the turning point in the whole book. It's the it's the reason why Achilles even gets into the war. So mm. lingering on um, the details and the ironies of that book, I think, is really important. There's there's but, one other thing. Uh, I'm I'm sorry. There's one other thing that I did notice about that final moment. Yeah. Um, uh, just about it, it. This only occurred to me in the you know the other day finishing up the ent- the entire work. Uh, but the contrast because I, I feel like there's if it's not deliberate, it's it's a pretty big coincidence. The the um, comparison and contrast between the death of deaths of Patroclus and Hector. Um, mm. Patroclus Patroclus takes a lot of killing. Um, I mean that you know you get that extended metaphor uh, that simile we've talked about. You know with like what is it a, a mountain lion a, and a, a, a some lion overpowering a tireless wild boar on a mountain summit you know, battling with all their fury. And it, again, it does take a God Hector and, you know, an extra to take down Patroclus and they, they don't fight fair. Uh, I was struck yeah. in rereading Hector's death. What quick work Achilles made of Hector. I mean, it, it it's, you know, they, they clash and it's over within about 10 lines. Um, that I don't know. Uh, I mean, be, beyond underlining the awesomeness of Achilles's skill, as opposed to somebody like Hector who knows he's outmatched. Uh, I'm not sure what else to make of, make of that, but I thought that was a, a interesting contrast. Yeah. Maybe the Hector Patroclus fight is a much more even one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I guess so. And, and again, it, it kind of takes a cheap shot from Apollo to right, hand the, it to Hector. Yeah. yeah. Uh, to give, give Patroclus that advantage. That that's that's some good foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Um, so book seventeen, Fagels calls it Menelaus's finest hour. Uh, <laughs> does your translation give titles, Carla? It doesn't. No, it just has the books. All right. Well, I guess I guess I'm gonna let Fagels set the agenda. If this is Menelaus's finest hour, what kind of hour is it, and is it particularly fine? <laughs> I only have I only have one thing I want to say I absolutely need to say about this book. There's a lot of stuff, but one thing I want to make sure that gets covered. But I'm going to save that. What y'all got? Go for it, Jordan. Um I I have a hard time having any strong feelings one way or another about Menelaus. I feel like he's overshadowed by his big brother. 
who is um, a great king, but also kind of one of the villains of the piece. So, uh, Men- you know, Menelaus has one of those rage moments when uh, he's dueling Paris at the beginning and Paris gets whisked away <laughs> to, to his yes. bedroom, shamefully, right? Uh, so oh, Menelaus yeah. kind of gets uh, kind of gets a chance not not to redeem himself, but to actually score some for for himself here. Uh, and he does it in, in frankly a pretty honorable way, stepping up and bestriding Patroclus's body to uh, to uh, defend it and keep keep Euphorbus especially, who's who's a nobody, right? Uh, it would be a a everlasting shame on the memory of Patroclus for somebody like Euphorbus to strip his armor. Uh, stepping up and actually defending it, and you know, kind of beginning this tug of war over Patroclus's body. So it, it uh, I think we said before we recorded that beggars can't be choosers. And uh, if, <laughs> if if Menelaus is going to have a finest hour, this is not bad. Yeah, I, I kind of wish there was more Menelaus in the whole thing, given yeah. that it's you know because someone nicked his wife. Yeah, you know that seems. I don't know. If I was writing the Iliad, <laughs> he would he would have more lines. But instead, it's just his blowhard big brother. He um, does get to show back up in the Odyssey. That's, that's uh, true. That's something Agamemnon doesn't get for obvious reasons. Well, he does, but he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Agamemnon getting murdered in the face is... Uh, <laughs> Is probably the best recurring. I, I I treat it as a joke. By the time I get to the end of the Odyssey, <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's really really funny. Um, I, I'm gonna go. Couldn't ahead. have happened to a nicer guy, right? Um, all the suitors get murdered. Uh, at you know Odysseus kills all the suitors at the end of the Odyssey. All their souls go to Hades. They see Menelaus and they're like Menelaus, Menelaus, Odysseus killed us and we were man, it was terrible and it was we were just butchered and Menelaus is like yeah yeah that's fine but did you hear about how Clytemnestra murdered me? <laughs> <laughs> it's like come on gosh. Whining, whining about your fate in Hades is not super becoming either. Right. At least, Achille- um, at least Achilles is just kind of bored. <laughs> so, yeah, defending Patroclus' body. Um, he gets some good... Uh, he's fierce as a mountain lion in his power, says uh, says Fagels on 69. Menelaus, fierce as a mountain lion. Um, he's... I mean, defending it by himself, we get that one little moment where he's where he's worried because everyone's all everyone's charging at him and he's alone. Um, But then he, you know, sort of puts up the bat signal and calls Ajax. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, but even but even Menelaus and Ajax have this moment where Hector and all the Trojans are charging them. And they're like, do we stand? Do we run? That's a lot of guys. But you know what? We can't let him take. We can't let him take Patroclus. We could never let him take Patroclus. Right, um, body. So it it's um it's fascinating to me that really all of Book Seventeen is a battle over a dead body. Um, because mm-hmm. even you know it, it at a certain point Hector gets the the armor and so achilles armor is has been taken 
So it's, it's the, it's the person's body. That's the story <laughs> that they're, yeah. that they're fighting and risking um, their lives to, to take back. And, and it's another, you know, moment of what is it to honor someone and what is it to, um, to have honor, to be honored. Uh, and, and uh, it pulls into me again, the question of like mortality, like if, if mortality is the right of humans, their body is actually a thing to be honored, you know, and that I think was, is an interesting uh, dilemma in this book. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, it, it's not explicitly, um, uh, well, you know, maybe my memory is foggy. I don't think it's, the point is made as explicitly in the Iliad. Um, but if you read something like Sophocles' Antigone uh, or even some of the bits of, of the underworld, um, the underworld visit in the Odyssey, um, what is at stake in, in a, a dead person's body being interred and receiving the appropriate rites? Um you know, if if the Iliad is working in the same thought space, essentially, as uh, the Odyssey and Antigone, then to leave the body out there for the dogs, to not give it its appropriate rights, um, has ramifications for the soul of Patroclus. Um, you know, it's to, it's to condemn your enemies not only now, but, but afterwards to be wandering hungry ghosts. It's it's that's it's just so interesting, you know, in in light of the conversation about mortality, um, that part of what you're saying is in the immortal part of the being, the mortal part has has yeah. sway, you know, has has impact. Um, it's just interesting. But in in the Iliad, I would say they didn't talk much about um, Patroclus's eternal, you know, damnation or otherwise based on what happened to his body. They did talk a lot about honor, about you know, if yes. if. Uh, the the Trojans took it. That would be uh, an honor. Their honor. They would actually be honored in having been able to do that. So we they didn't want them to have that honor. And then there was the argument of just giving it back to Achilles and saying, Ah, here's your your friend. And you know, so those were the those were the things that seemed to be at stake in in the book to me was honor and friendship again in some ways. I think that's a really a really good summary of both summary of both of these two. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there any any uh, I I'm looking at the time and and finding that uh, we are we are stretching uh, stretching this into uh, I think we've hit the hour mark. <laughs> um, what would be a good way to round this one out? The fight over uh, the body of Patroclus. Um, extends through the rest of the chapter. Um, there's some back and forth, some gods intervene, um, but that that fight over the body uh, continues. Um, what would what's something something good that we can round this out on? I mean, I think, again, for me, the thing was 
in the midst of this battle over the body, Zeus shifts sides and the, the, the primary, the principal characters recognize it. They see it happen and mm, um, yeah. shifts to the Trojans, right? And gives Hector this moment of great courage. And, and, um, and still it ends up that the body gets taken back. So, um, but I, I think for me, again, it's these moments of like, man, if we were to, you know, describe Hector's actions biologically, he had a great upsurge of adrenaline or something, right? Like there are ways we would maybe describe that in 21st century, um, whatever. I, but in this case, it's that Zeus had now shifted sides. And so the power was on Hector's side. And um, that whole that whole thing, again, for me, uh, makes me strongly dislike Zeus as a character. And I just find it so interesting in how, again, the characters are are trying to understand their fates and, and their narrative. Um, yeah. yeah. Jordan? Um, hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm just kind of reflecting. I, I think that's a really, really good point. And again, you get uh, the mortals expressing openly their frustration with the gods. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the point about honor and trying to deny the Trojans honor and maintain the honor of Patroclus is also really good. Um, hmm. Just lots of food for thought there. Uh, I kind of wonder, since you mentioned foreshadowing other, now I kind of see a little bit of that with Patroclus. He's almost prefiguring some of the dispute over Hector's own body later. Uh, it's, it's very similar stakes for all sides concerned. Um, and it's going to, of course, directly concern Achilles as well. Achilles is going to easily, like we talked about, he's going to make very easy work of Hector. So there's not going to be an actual physical fight over the body uh, in the same way, but there's going to be a, a dispute over it. That's going to actually, uh, it's, it's almost going to be, I hate, I hate to use this word, almost a spiritual dispute over the, over the body in, in bringing Priam into the fight. And they, uh, in a way, um, I don't know if that makes any sense. I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of now discovering some parallels there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's uh, I think that's really a good uh, a good way to end it to just set the brutality of this mm-hmm. of this chapter over against um, what I would call what I would call the 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 triumph of uh, this brief little window in which a kind of virtuous humanity um, breaks through the clouds in that in that last that last moment when um well you'll have to keep keep reading and keep listening yeah. <laughs> dear <laughs> listeners um my one last little bit and it's uh around line 647 in 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 fagels uh it's my favorite epic epic comparison hero animal comparison for menelaus and this is when athena gives menelaus fresh strength in his back spring in his knees and filled his heart with the horse flies raw daring <laughs> yes <laughs> he's as brave as a fly it's fantastic <laughs> so cool it's great well, this has been a lot of fun. I'm so glad that y'all came on to talk about these books with me. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, super fun. 
Dear listener, I hope you've enjoyed it too. Uh, I hope you've been enjoying all of this core curriculum series. Uh, the end is near. The end is near. We've been foreshadowing it. Um, listen on through and, uh, and enjoy the rest of it and the, and the episodes to come. Core Curriculum is a show on the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Our press liaison is Kristen Philippic. Uh, if you want to give us any kind of feedback, you can send that to Christ, uh, thechristianhumanist at gmail.com or uh, post it on the show notes on our blog, christianhumanist.org, or you can post them on Facebook. Most of us are on Twitter, too. You can track us down and add us specifically if you want. In the meanwhile, I wish you all grand weeks and enjoy the rest of your homework.